It is good to see you today. I want to welcome you to this gathering of Heart of Life. Um, thank you for taking the time to, to, to join together like we are in this room. I want to uh, just say uh, hey today to, to Adrian crew who's gathered there, to the Harrisonville crew who's gathered there. Um, but also, to, this time of year, everybody's on the move, and so folks even on vacation being able to to join us online, we're grateful for the chance to be together. That's actually what I did last week. I missed you, um, but I also enjoyed being able to hang out with our students some last week as they were at camp in Mobile. And uh, camp, every, every single year, I mean, I, I just... I'm never disappointed in what I see go on there. There's Bible study, there's worship, like you might imagine. But the particular camp that they go to, the focus is mission. It's mission. And so every day of the camp, they're leaving camp and moving out. I think this year there were some 19 different sites that our students um, were serving in. And so it could be an inner city camp deep in the, the, the heart of Mobile, um, but also some of them traveled 30 miles out of town to, to camps that were out in the country. Some days they're playing games with kids. Sometimes they're clearing trees. Um, this year they, they had an opportunity to, to care for uh, those with uh, cerebral palsy, just all kinds of different opportunities for our kids to serve. Four of those days that they were there, it was 102 degrees. But your students brought it. And every day they went, every day they served. This is the camp shirt. I love the scripture. Philippians chapter 2. Something about serving people. Something about seeing the interest of others above yourself. And I just want you to know that you could be crazy proud of the students that are a part of Heart of Life ministry. They are all in. That's a good picture, isn't it? That's a good picture. Beautiful crew. In the description that I would give to them this week, a group that is all in. All in. Which just happens to be the title of what I'm calling this little mini series that we're in. A lot of times we'll do a talk series and it'll last for a month. This one is just a couple of weeks. All in. What do we mean? Fully committed. Fully committed. And if anybody ought to be all in, it ought to be the followers of Jesus. Because, I mean, if, if this good news of Jesus is real, then of all people, it ought to be us who would push all the chips to the middle of the table and say, we believe. We're all in. And so I want to read the text to you today. Philippians chapter 2, 
Um, we're going to look at verse 25 to 30 today. It is a story about a man named Epaphroditus. Funny name, but not in Paul's day. It was a common name. But Epaphroditus' story is that he has been sent to care for the Apostle Paul. Now, the story is you got a church in Philippi. Remember that, that Paul had been a part of, uh, of establishing, but now that church in Philippi has heard that Paul is under house arrest. He's in prison in Rome, and so they are concerned about him. Therefore, Epaphroditus is chosen to bring to Paul resources, right? Money he can't get out and work in order to, to carry on the, the ministry, and so they're bringing him resources Epaphroditus is bringing him care. Let's just read it. I'll show you what I mean. Verse 25. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. All right? Just like I just described to you. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. He risked his life. It's an interesting verb. It is a verb in the Greek language that literally means roll the dice. That's what it means. Roll the dice. And suddenly you say, ah, all in, because we were wondering why a pastor would choose gambling terms, right, to, to teach people, right, principles from God's word. Jeff, why would you use gambling terms? Because Paul did. Paul did. And when he chose to describe what this man, Epaphroditus, has meant in his life and how he characterizes his life. This is the term he uses, man. He says, this man, he's rolling the dice with God. It is what I want to be said of me. It is what I want to be said of you. These are a people who are betting their lives on Jesus. These are a people who are pushing the chips to the middle of the table and saying, we are all in. Why would we do that? Maybe because we now know a God who humbled himself, died for us, and now exalts the humble. And therefore we say, we're all in with 
Let me show you a few things about this text. I absolutely love this little description of Epaphroditus. Let let me show you a few things that are said about him because I think there's some cool stuff that God wants to show us as his church today. Look at verse 26. Let's go back and we'll highlight several verses, all right? He longs for all of you, that's what Paul says, and is distressed, all right? So if we just stop there, we would imagine, all right, here's Epaphroditus. He left Philippi. He comes to Rome. He's been caring for Paul for a period of time now. The man's homesick, right? He, he longs for everybody back home, it, whether it's his family, whether it's friendships. He's homesick. He's been gone. He wants to go back. But wait, wait, wait. Read the rest, read the rest of the description. He longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. You read that? Epaphroditus is distressed because he knows that you've heard that he's ill. Doesn't that seem backwards from the way we usually do this? Aren't we normally most distressed when people aren't paying attention to what we're going through? Don't we most get bent out of shape when nobody seems to care that I am ill or I am struggling and nobody's, nobody's paying attention? No, that's not, what, that's not what he's saying here. Paul's saying Epaphroditus is actually concerned. He is actually distressed because he knows that the people back in Philippi have heard that he has been ill and they are so worried about him. That's what he's most concerned about. What is that? It's called humility. It's humility. Remember how we started this chapter? When you care more about the interest of others than self? That's who this man is To the point that we're told in verse 30, I mean, he almost died for the work of Christ. When I look at this whole section, this little section of of Paul describing Timothy to us, and now it's Epaphroditus, there is a picture here of next generations of leaders as Paul gets older you see these guys stepping up. And so today, I want to frame a couple of questions for you. And when I read this part about Epaphroditus and I read this part about Timothy, my first question is to those who are young. To those of you who are young, a part of, part of life. My question is, in humility... Will you go all in learning to lead in God's church? That's my question. To those of you who are young, and I'll let you define young, all right? That's your privilege today. But to those of you who are young, just like Epaphroditus we see here and just like Timothy that we see here, right? In humility... Will you go all in learning to lead in God's church? 
You say, well, what does that look like? Well, how about we just take it from the context of what we've been reading in Philippians chapter 2. We've been in this chapter for a while. Here's a part of what it means. Don't grumble. Remember that text? It means don't grumble. When it it comes to the church, I want to challenge those of you who are young leaders, don't just gripe about what you don't like. But be humble and instead say, hey, how can I be a part of seeing God's church continue to grow and be who he's called us to be. My question is, is it possible to bring attention to something that needs to be better when it comes to the church without grumbling? Is it possible to say, this needs to be changed, this needs to be uh, right rearranged without it be grumbling? And absolutely it's possible to do that. You know the difference? It starts right here. It's a heart difference. The difference is, is the church here to serve me or am I here to serve the church? Does the church exist for me? Because if that's the case, it's going to come off like grumbling, like you guys aren't, you guys aren't delivering what I actually expect this to be. But if your attitude is instead, I am looking to serve others uh, above myself, then that's not going to come off like, like grumbling. It's going to be a love that says, I want this family to be stronger and stronger. It's being humble. Start with willing to learn to come alongside those who are already leading in different arenas in God's church and to say, hey, what can I learn? And listen to me, young leaders. Some of you already know more than the people who are actually leading in those areas. Okay? But if you come at it from a standpoint of refusing to learn, you will never get the opportunity to actually use what God's given you to actually see God's church grow better. When you start with an attitude of learning, you set the stage that allows, if you do know more, it is going to surface and it's gonna surface out of love. So, are you willing in humility to learn to lead in God's church? Don't grumble. The second thing I would get from this chapter is trust God's sovereignty. Trust his sovereignty. If you're going to lead, you, you, it is believing God even in risky circumstances. That is what Epaphroditus is dealing with. He is dealing with some less than ideal circumstances. Paul in prison, he's ill. I mean, Epaphroditus though, He seems to have this heart that understands God put him there. This is the plan for him being there. And Epaphroditus acts like he believes that God exalts the humble. One more I would give you. Live for others. Young leaders, when we stop trying to be in charge and start seeking to serve, that is when 
God does the multiplying factor in your life. To stop seeing the church as a place that you deserve to take from and start viewing the church as a, as a family that you are honored to serve. We could pick a hundred different examples today on what we're talking about here. But I'm just going to pick one that I saw this week. And I guess it'll always be an issue when it comes to church. I got to stand several nights in a room packed with students. And when they sing, they sing. And so when a band would lead us in worship, the voices across that room, it is one of the things every year that I so look forward to because of the sound that comes from that room and students lifting up their voices and I'm watching them active of hands moving and just an expression of worship. I saw you. I saw you. I'm just guessing that students would say, and if I'm off here, then they'll tell me later. I'm guessing they would say, man, I wish that's what worship was like every time we came together as the church. Like people free to express voices, not afraid to be raised. And even as I'm saying this now across this room, I'm watching heads nod and it's not all students. So first of all, my challenge is to students, so what do you do with that? What do you do with that? One option is to complain. <laughs> One option is to complain and go, I wish this could be like that, but, but it's not often like that. Or bring it. Bring it. I'm not talking about putting on a show. I'm just talking about being who I saw you be this last week as you lifted your voices and you expressed that worship Somebody's got to lead if we're ever going to be there. What if that's why God has you here? Again, I'm not talking about putting on a show. We're not talking about attention to us, but I'm talking about somebody leading in terms of a freedom that exists to, to truly just worship him with all that we are. See, real leaders don't wait for the circumstances to be perfect in order to step into those circumstances. Real leaders are often the ones who help take the step before the circumstances are perfect in order to see change happen. Does that make sense? 
Young leaders, the thing that will stand in your way of leading more than anything else is pride. It has always been the case that knowledge has a tendency to puff up. So it has always been the case that the more knowledge we get, then suddenly we tend to believe that we know more than everyone else. In my lifetime, I have watched that happen, not just in secular education. I have watched it happen too many times in theological education where I have literally seen, right, students even in ministry, they will take a step toward theological education and suddenly they get something and the whole church is just ignorant because they know how to do it and nobody else does. Sometimes they do know some things that would make it better. It's the truth. But when the attitude is, I know what I'm doing and nobody else does, who's gonna listen to that? Who's who's gonna lean into that and go, please tell me what you know? How do you get to the point that you can actually be a part of seeing something? God exalts who? The humble. He exalts the humble. Young leaders, we need you to lead. But the way that's going to happen according to God's design is it will be through humility. Now, don't feel bad. Every generation that is represented in this room, we all thought at one point that we were smarter than all the generations who have come before us. Right? We all thought it. God exalts the humble. Let's keep moving. Because Epaphroditus is not the only one in this story who brings incredible humility. So does the Apostle Paul. All right? So check out verse 25. Go back to verse 25. I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. Paul says, my brother. It it is an endearment picture. It is is they share this brotherly love. I mean, it it is stronger than just an acquaintance, all right? He loves Epaphroditus, and he knows that Epaphroditus loves him. He is my co-worker. When Paul uses that term in Scripture, it is almost always connected to ministry. Epaphroditus isn't afraid to work. He'll work. And third, a fellow soldier, he ain't afraid to fight either. And the fight in this case is the spiritual battle that has always taken place. It is not for wimps. It is not for the lighthearted. Epaphroditus, Paul knows, he fights with him. He says, he's also your messenger. Remember, he was sent from Philippi, whom you sent to take care of my needs. My point is, this dude blesses Paul. He is a huge help to the Apostle Paul. But when we get to verse 28, here's what we hear Paul say. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him to you so that when you see him again, you'll be glad and I may have less anxiety. But even the anxiety that Paul's talking about here is the anxiety he feels because he knows of the anxiety that Epaphroditus feels because Epaphroditus knows of the anxiety that the Philippian church feels and Paul wants everybody to be glad to the point that he's willing to give up the care that Epaphroditus has been giving him 
So he'll send him back so that Epaphroditus and the church at Philippi could be blessed. What is that? Humility. It's humility. It's seeking the interest of others above yourself. So I got my second question. And since this deals with Paul, my second question is to those who are established leaders. Again, I, didn't, I said young leaders in the first one. I didn't say old leaders in the second one. I said established leaders, all right? Those who are established leaders in humility, will you go all in seeking to build up young leaders in God's church? Hmm. So what would that look like? Well, how about we go back to the chapter, chapter two, what we've been learning. Here's what it looks like. Don't grumble. Don't grumble. Because you know what I sometimes hear next generations do, right? They grumble about the generations who are coming up. They grumble about how different, right, they see the world. What if, if, what if instead of grumbling, established leaders actually began to pray for the next levels of leaders whom God has placed in his church. What, what, if, what if those established leaders, and I'm talking about like really pray, I'm not talking about, you yeah, we, we need to pray for our young leaders. No, I'm talking about people actually on their knees praying for next generations who are coming along. What would happen if instead we chose to encourage? What would happen instead if we chose to invest and even learn from them? Like, what would happen if older leaders demonstrated an attitude that they might possibly even learn something from young leaders? That would be called humility. And it's the very thing that sometimes, as old leaders, we're griping about because young leaders don't have it. How about we also trust God's sovereignty? You've seen these three before. Trust God's sovereignty. What, what I mean is, instead of worrying about me losing my position in the church, instead of me worrying about losing my role, as we studied in the early part of this chapter, instead of me worrying about losing my status, what if I'm willing to let go of that, believing that God exalts the humble, and instead I would take hold of a next generation and say, come on, let's walk this out. Live for others. Establish leaders these are questions that we have to ask every once in a while in the life of our church. Are you willing to make the adjustments to even reach the next generation? How much are you willing for things to change if that's what it takes to connect to the hearts of a generation that follows? Now, don't don't go out of here saying what I didn't say. What does not change? The gospel. It does not change. The good news of Jesus, right? The, the truth of scripture, the mission to which we have been called, it does not change. 
But the way in which that is sometimes framed, it changes with every generation. Let's just get, since we talked this earlier, are you willing to sing songs you don't like in order to connect with the hearts of the generations to come? Will you sing songs that you don't like to get to their heart if that's what it takes? About midway between Bourbon Street and Jackson Square in the city of New Orleans, there is a a little shop that you will find there called the Himmerling Art Gallery. Himmerling. This is a print that I own of Bill Himmerling. I have several of them in my home. Um, There have been other times that I have used a Himmerling painting as an illustration for you. I'm sure you'll remember it. There's a particular painting that the description is, I thought it was just an ordinary day until I met Jesus at the Cafe du Monde. I've used that before. That's Bill Himmerling. He painted that that picture. It's probably one of my, it's one of my favorites, all right? Um, Bill Himmerling was a floor designer for Sears for 35 years. Now, what I mean by floor designer is he was the guy who who would take the products that that Sears was trying to sell and how do you arrange it on a floor, what's going to move the product and make it work. That, That was his, for 35 years, that's what he did with his life until Sears let Himmerling go. 35 years. 35 years. And around early 2000s, it was about 2002 or so, suddenly Bill Himmerling, after doing one thing when it came to his work for 35, he's like suddenly out and he's, 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 he's saying, what am I going to do now? Which is probably the, the last section of his life before he would retire. What, what am I going to do now? And the story is when Bill Himmerling was out on a jog, he came upon just a piece of wood that had been thrown on the side of the road. He took it home, and with some house paint and wood stain, he started painting. And he never took one class of formal training in his entire life. Wood stain and house paint and reclaimed wood. Within two years, Himmerling's work was being chosen for the poster of New Orleans Jazz Fest, all right? Now, some of you know Kansas City Jazz Fest is kind of a big deal, New Orleans Jazz Fest is like a whole nother level, all right? In two years, he's being selected for for the poster for for New Orleans Jazz Fest. And, And as the years followed, his popularity just exploded, even internationally. By 2009, 
Himmerling went to heaven. He's gone. Most of his work is um, Southern African-American folk culture. Um, he, he, he stirs in um, a lot of spiritual elements. This one is, is about a, a pastor and his wife. Um, it's part of why this one's dear. It talks about the value of a wife in, in relationship and ministry. And he, he just, I don't know, when I, when I first saw what he paints and I, and I saw the descriptions and how he, it was just one of those things that connected to my heart. And apparently I'm not alone because um, his, his fame just went literally worldwide. Seven years was all that he had to paint. Seven years. But in that seven years, there was a young man who took an interest in, Kimmerling, in Himmerling's work. And he became an apprentice. His name is Calais. And Calais now also paints. Go tell it on the mountain is this particular work. And it's not hard for you to see some of the similarities between Himmerling's work and what Calais does. Now, I could show you a lot of other paintings that Calais's done, and they're not all identical. It's not this close always, but you can see the hints of Himmerling's work in Calais's work. I've got probably four or five of these that hang in our home in different rooms. I'll admit to you that we first started getting them because we just liked the way they looked. Now they hang there for a different reason. It's because of what it reminds me of. And in particular, where God has brought me to. I'm 54 years old. 54. That's crazy. I have had the chance to shepherd heart a life for 22 years, which also seems crazy. And I said from day one that I don't own any of that, but I'd love to do this my whole life, however much God gives me. Again, he owns that, not me, but that's what I'd love to do. And so I don't know what he's got left for me. But let's just play, and it's okay for me to dream. Like, okay, I've been here 22, uh, that's like two, kind of two decades, if you will. Well, let, let's throw in, let's say, what if I get another 11? That'd get, that put me at 65, right? That's kind of that number where you're, you're like thinking, right? What, what, what's this going to look like? There is one thing that I feel like God has communicated so incredibly clear to me. That if he gives me that next 11 years to continue to shepherd this body, this is what I believe he's calling me to. With everything that I have, My goal is to put brushes 
paint into the hands of the next generation of leaders that God is raising up in this body. More than ever before, I'm not going to stop painting. I'm more excited about painting in the next season of my life than I've ever been about anything else. But my goal is to put brushes in the hands of young leaders in this body. It is God's design, and it is the plan for his great name to continue to be proclaimed and multiplied throughout this earth. That's my goal. A goal that I feel like God has impressed upon my heart as much as he has ever impressed anything. I have personally received so much joy over the last several weeks. When I saw Matt deliver his last message several weeks ago, and he improved more than, than I could even imagine when he stood up here and delivered, I think it was like about a month ago or so now, when he did, my heart was soaring because I remember where we started. But the more the brush is put in his hand and the more paint is given. Last week, when Peter was bringing God's word to you on Timothy, I was watching from a distance and I don't mind telling you, I was weeping long before he got to the end of the story. You know why? Because I remember 10 years ago looking into the eyes of that young 20-something-year-old man, and he didn't think he could preach because he had been told he couldn't. The man can preach. Ten years of brushes and paint, reclaimed wood, the man can preach. And I believe that God wants to multiply that story a hundred times over in this body. Here's why I'm convinced of it. One more scripture, we'll wrap this up. Philippians 2:27. Paul says, "Indeed, Epaphroditus was ill. He almost died. But what's the next word? But what? God. God had mercy on him. And not only him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow." Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad. He says, look, behind Paul working out his salvation, behind, right, Epaphroditus working out his salvation, behind Timothy work, who's at work? God's at work. Whoever's doing the work of serving, who's already serving? God. And in this case, that's exactly what was going on. You had God who spared Epaphroditus' life. 
You, you had God who then, he says, Paul, he relieved sorrow upon sorrow, which means if I had lost Epaphroditus, just the weight of my heart, but God spared me of that. And even the Philippians now get to rejoice because of God's serving. If God ain't doing the serving that he does for us every single day of our lives, none of us are doing any serving. It is our God who is at work Humbly, humbly. Epaphroditus is all in. Paul is all in. This is my favorite. God is all in. Are you all in? Part of life's greatest days have been when people were unselfish and humble. Whether it was first campuses or first mission trips, our greatest days have been when people were unselfish and humble. Our toughest days have been when leaders have done the opposite. And I get it that sometimes it just feels a lot easier to, right, to, to go experience something instead of fighting for something. But today I don't mind telling you that's, that's what I'm calling us to. There's a part of me that loves that this little conversation today, and I don't guess the conversation I'm talking, you're not talking back yet, but this little talk is happening on an obscure Sunday in June. I kind of like that. Like we didn't, like not some big giant Sunday, you know, where a bunch of hoopla, it's just like a Sunday in June when most people are focused on about everything else except the future of the church. But this is where God has brought us in this text. What if we go after this? What if we go after this? You're like, how are we going to do that? Well, I'm committing to you that my goal from now to the end of the year is to work with as many leaders as I can and we put a plan in place to see young leaders trained up. It's kind of like, how do we do this? I don't know, but today, it's like I'm tossing the hat over the wall and once you toss your hat over the wall, then you gotta go over the wall because you gotta go get it. Today is a tossing of the hat over the wall that says, I'm committing over the next six months, between now and the end of the year, that with leaders, we put together a plan. Asking God to give us direction. God, how can this become a reality that we see this take place hundreds of times over heart of life? So today, how about we just 
together ask God to help us do that. We'll sing a song in a minute. If there are some things that you need prayer for, you need to talk, we'd be honored to do that. But how about, how about we just together ask God, would you help us do God, what we believe you're calling us to do. Can we do that? I'm going to do something different today, and I'm just going to ask if you can. You don't have to if you can't do this. It doesn't make you more holy or less holy, but could we go to our knees? And just as a, a visual of the position of our heart, that we are humbling ourselves before God and saying, God, would you do something beautiful here. Can we do that? Let's go to him. Let's go to him. God, your timing is perfect. And it is your timing to bring us to this place in Philippians. It is your timing, God, that you have been working on our hearts for some time now. But, God, it is your timing that you have brought us to this great truth. I, I am grateful to be a part of a church where there are established leaders that I don't have to work hard to talk into what we've seen from your word today. And God, I cannot thank you enough for that. I cannot thank you enough for leaders across Heart of Life who have literally served for decades, but they will be the ones immediately lining up saying, what can we do to help pour into the leaders to come? God, I thank you so much for the people who lead across this body and they do it unselfishly. And God, you have given us a church where there is a surprising amount of young hearts, young lives who love you and are willing to lead. God, the best I can tell, you have put together um, a perfect scenario here that I'm not saying it'll be easy, but hearts that are willing, they are here. So God, would you give us wisdom over these months that follow? God, together with young leaders and older leaders, God, together that, that we could do the best that we can to, to put together, God, not to control, but God, to train. Not to control, but God, to help us grow. God, would you help us put together what you desire to be a plan of seeing leaders grown up I already dream of what that could look like 10 years from now. When students that I got to worship with this week who are from 12 to 18, 
They will be 22. They will be 28. God, I dream about what it would be like to see an army of young men and young women who are all in with you. God, would you? Would you? I praise you now for what you're going to do. Again, God, give us the ability to hear your voice that your church may declare your great name. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray it. Amen and amen. Let's stand and we'll worship together.